I definitely want to encourage you. If you, um, if you were not here last week or you did not tune in and watch the service last week, um, I know I thanked Pastor Steve last week after the service just for his uh, vulnerability uh, as well as just being faithful and bearing the, wit- the message that I think we needed to hear. Uh, and if, if you haven't uh, heard the message, I encourage you. That's on the website. Check that out. Um, Steve addressed the issue of the call to unity and just the recognizing what we all know. I mean, we're, I, I think I've heard more than one person say, whether they're 50 in their 20s or those in their 70s, I've heard people at every stage of life say they've never in the last year recognized more division in our world and our culture. And, and I think Pastor Steve was accurate in not only highlighting some of those divisions, but how those divisions have crept into the churches as well. And so this message of unity and this call of unity is something that uh, we're focusing on uh, to not only last week, but today. Uh, because as we, as a, our leaders, we're focusing on, as okay, as we're coming out of this crazy season that we've been in, making sure that we're focused on the mission that God has given us as a church and focused on what Jesus wants for us as a church. And, and with that entails a, 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 an importance of, of looking at our own hearts and our own lives. And I appreciate what Pastor Steve said of taking the time to examine your own heart and your own life to see, is there any way I've contributed to disunity within the body? So again, if you've not watched it or listened to it, I encourage you to check that out. But just some of the things that Steve shared last week, he was, we were primarily in Ephesians 4, and we were reminded of that call to humility and gentleness. I'm always amazed. It's, it's amazing to me that you, you, can, you can disagree with people and still be humble and gentle in how you have a disagreement. And it, and it changes everything. Um, part of unity is embracing that. Paul in Philippians 2 talks about having the mind or attitude of Christ, which is the same idea of, of embracing that humility and gentleness. Ephesians 4.3, Steve looked at that call of, of being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So there's an effort. We put effort into seeking unity. And, and so we should not be known as people that are divisive or, or, or arguing about things that are really in the eternal sense of things, are pretty meaningless. And Steve ended with a call of, of looking to Jesus and reminding us that we have one Lord, Jesus, one faith, one baptism. So I just, I just wanted to bridge what Steve shared last week. Definitely encourage you, even if you just heard my summary, go listen to Steve if you didn't hear it. Um, I think we need to do some soul searching individually to make sure that we are always seeking and, and eager to maintain unity within the body. And, you know, as I've been thinking about this and as, as Steve and as the leaders we've been talking in recent weeks, I kept coming to a scene and, and a thought about the fact that Jesus called Matthew, tax collector, someone who worked with Rome, but also just a few chapters later, he calls Simon the Zealot. That wasn't his last name. Simon the Zealot meant that his whole life focus was to overthrow Rome. And so Simon the Zealot, revolutionary, someone that wants to overthrow Rome, is walking with Matthew, the one who was working with Rome in taxing his own people. And then you got the fishermen and everyone in between 
this band of disciples that there are obviously differences in, in the lives that they were called out of. And yet Jesus called them to himself and called them to something greater. And so we're going to look at Matthew 9, 9 through 13, specifically the, the call of Matthew. And we're going to reflect on this text, and then we're going to watch a video clip. Uh, some of you, I know I've, it's probably the first time in my life that I've been cr- really been excited about a, any form of Christian media. I'm not typically a fan of most Christian media. Uh, it is not always typically done well. Um, I've, I've talked to a number of you about The Chosen, uh, series that follows uh, Jesus and his gathering of the disciples and they're stretching out. Think about most of the stories we read or see about Jesus to film are two to three hours. Um, this is a series that is actually unpacking for over eight seasons and, and really gives some great insight into what it must have been like for each of these individuals that were chosen, that Jesus called uh, but we're going to look at Matthew 9, 9 through 13, and see a clip uh, from that. And, and we have something on the clip pointing people to the show uh, for copyright stuff. So we definitely want to make sure that if you've not checked it out, check it out. Uh, the resources are available for you to follow. But let's go ahead and read Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. And not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Before we watch a clip, I, the, one of the things I've found really helpful in watching this account was in the series, you've seen Matthew already. And, and most commentaries will suggest that Matthew, this is, this is probably not the first encounter that Matthew has had with Jesus. He's most likely heard Jesus teaching very likely has witnessed some of Jesus' miracles. And, and in the show, he's actually, you see him going through this struggle. You see him reflecting and trying to make sense of his world based on what he's seeing and hearing from this man, Jesus. And that leads to this moment where Jesus passes by his booth. And so let's go ahead and watch this clip. We live in the same world, Matthew. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew! Matthew! Matthew, son of Alpheus! Matthew, son of Alpheus! Yes. Follow me. Me? Yes. <laughs> yes. You. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? 
Yes. Listen, I said to you. What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? Grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Hey, it's Dallas and the creator of The Chosen, and yes, season one of The Chosen is complete. All eight episodes, they're available right now. You can look up The Chosen in the App Store or Google Play, and we're easy to find. You can download it and be watching within minutes. And in fact, it's unprecedented technology. You can connect to almost any device you have directly, and you don't even need a subscription. So I hope you'll check out season one of The Chosen right now. <clears throat> one of my favorite things in that clip... Um if you caught it, but Matthew, there's a point in which Jesus is being asked two different questions from two different people at the same time. Matthew, looking through the booth, is saying, you want me to join you? And Peter, who's protesting about Jesus calling Matthew, this tax collector, says, do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? And to both questions, Jesus says, yes. You know, that in that moment, you see um, just this incredible tension that was, would have been the reality based and what even in, this is in Matthew's account, that Matthew then includes not just his call, but the dinner to follow with, with this group of tax collectors and, and, and makes a statement in Jesus's words and including that section of, of what takes place after his calling, that Jesus came not for the well, but for the sick you see that Matthew was touched. And I, and I love in, in Peter's protest, and I probably should have had the, um, the words um, transcribed on there, but Peter, in his protest, he went on. He said, well, well, this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Tax collectors really, the only thing modern today that I would say that we might attribute or even come close to the hatred that most people had for tax collectors would be um, how some people view lawyers. Today, or maybe trial, or the lawyers that are asking for the uh, money on TV to get you uh, uh, out of an accident or whatever it might be. I mean, that lawyers tend to, all the legalese that shapes so much of what we experience in this life, there's sometimes there's that hatred there. But the reality is for the tax collector, even Peter and those fishermen, 
who were not necessarily seeking to overthrow Rome, they would have struggled with the idea of Matthew being included within the body. Because they saw him as a traitor. And in the show, uh, Matthew, that, that is portrayed even to the point that, of tension with him and his parents, who believe that he's using the gifts that God g- gave him to work against God rather than for him. You know, I, I love Jesus' response, and this has been a key slogan through this whole show. Uh, in Peter protest, this is different. I'm not, I'm not a tax collector. Jesus' response, get used to different. If you look through the Gospels, you're not going to see that quote. But the spirit of what Jesus calls us to, I think, is consistent with that. And, I, you know, as I, as I look at this, I, I, I reflected on that scene. There, there are three things that I see when we think about the issue of unity, when we understand our specific call to follow Christ and how that brings us to the same place and the same need, the same need of a savior, that understanding what Jesus calls us to brings us to a place of greater unity. And and one of the first things you see, even in this text, in verses 10 through 13, is that it's critical as believers that we never lose sight of God's grace. That we don't lose sight of God's grace. Again, look at verses 10 through 13. 10 through 13, it says, And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. And the video highlighted the fact that, I mean, Matthew says, look, I'm not welcome at dinner parties. And Jesus said, well, it's not going to be a problem today. You're the host. And that's really most likely what's happening here. And Jesus calls Matthew. And, and, and Matthew gathers his friends. And, and so you've got this band of these new disciples of Jesus. And, and Matthew and his tax collector friends, and they're gathering at the table. And it says, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, I think in that moment, Matthew understood. He understood his need for a savior. Peter, in that moment, I think was forgetting his own calling. And what's, what's amazing, Matthew is, and did you catch the issue of Matthew with the tablet? Matthew is recording the things that happen, and we know we have his account. His account of the good news of Christ is in the gospel of Matthew that we're reading from. But, you know, just a few chapters earlier, uh, Matthew recorded Peter's conversion, his call to follow Jesus. In the Luke account, if you look on the screen, Luke's account of Peter's conversion, it said, remember the, remember the whole scene? And I can't go into the full story, but remember after Jesus, or Peter had fished all night, Jesus provides for this miraculous catch of fish, and, 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 and it's very clear for Peter and anyone that was gathered that something miraculous had happened. And it says in Luke 5, 6 through 8, it says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, Josh, you and I have had some good fishing days, but never anything like that. Um, enough fish that they had to call for help flooding both the boats because the boats begin to sink. 
Peter sees this, he knows there's no explanation for that miraculous catch of fish except for he was standing in the presence of God. In verse 8, it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter recognized in that moment his own sinfulness. But in this moment, as portrayed in the show, in that clip, you can see that, that protest of saying, well, no, this is different. I'm not a tax collector. You know, we need to remember as, as Christ followers that Jesus came for the sick, he came for sinners, and we all are sinners. There's not one of us that is in, in, in any better position to come to Christ and surrender our lives and receive his gift of salvation because we all have the same need. The prophet Isaiah says that even our best, our best righteousness is like filthy rags. Even our best falls short of what God calls us to. We see that in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news is in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, we need to always remember that truth. Because sometimes I think we interact with the world and we develop this us versus them mentality that we lose mercy, we lose grace, we lose this sense of compassion for people that Jesus described as being lost as sheep without a shepherd. We should never lose sight of the compassion that Jesus had for those that were lost and those that he came to save. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're in need of God's grace. And, and if we remember that, it changes the way that we approach God. And it doesn't, mean that we, it doesn't mean that we continue living in sin. It doesn't mean that we don't move to a place where Paul describes us as we're not just sinners saved by grace, but we're saints, we're God's children, that there's something different that happens in us. But even Paul understood that he described himself as the chief of sinners. He understood that apart from Christ, he would still be in his sin. Apart from Christ, he would still be seeking a savior. But in Jesus, he found the grace and the forgiveness that only he can give us. And and we need to never lose sight of that because I believe that humility that we talked about last week, spiritually, humility comes from recognizing our own brokenness and our own need of a savior, whether we've been following Jesus for five minutes, five years, or 50 years. No matter how far we progress in our relationship with Jesus, we still need God's grace, we still need his forgiveness, and we need to remember that apart from Jesus, we'd still be caught in our sins. But I believe it also changes the way that we approach others. We need, if we're seeking unity within the body, we need to remember, and and also within our body, but also looking at how we interact with the world, we need to remember that the people that God has called us to love, the people that we often find ourselves in disagreement with, with cultural issues or politics or whatever it might be that you find yourself at odds with, that every one of those individuals that you might be in an argument with about an issue, Jesus died for them, he loves them, and we're to be bearing the love of Christ and being a witness for Christ in this world in a way that would draw them to Jesus.
We need to not forget grace and mercy. But when I reflect on Matthew, I'm also reminded that we also need to be willing to let go of all other allegiances. I mean, that, that call, I mean, you think, remember Peter, Peter left his livelihood. He left it, he, they dropped the nets and they followed Jesus. He turned his back on his life as a fisherman to give his life to become like Jesus, to become like his new master. But we also understand that when you look at the diversity of who Jesus called, is that he called people from different backgrounds and different places, and that, that we, we all had, have to be willing to let go of our old life and let go of our old allegiances to fully embrace Jesus. And, and again, think about this and what I mo- mentioned just a moment ago. Think about the fact that Matthew worked for Rome. Simon the Zealot, Matthew 10, in 22 through 4, we're introduced to him in the list of disciples that Jesus calls. He had given his life to overthrow Rome. And yet they both found themselves walking with Jesus, sitting at the table with Jesus. Jesus calls us out of our old allegiances. It's not an issue of accepting that, well, yeah, you, you keep your allegiances, I'll keep my allegiances, and we'll follow Jesus. We all need to be examining our hearts and our lives to say, am I letting, letting go of all other commitments? Am I letting go of all else in my life that I might fully embrace Jesus and what he has for me, that I might fully embrace Jesus and his kingdom? Jesus speaks into this issue of, of letting go of our allegiances and, and, and to think about, just who Jesus called, Peter, the other fishermen, Simon the zealot, Matthew, the tax collector. These people that had so, they hated each other. There's so many things that would divide them. And yet in following Christ, they laid down their lives and embraced Jesus and embraced his kingdom. And and understanding Jesus' kingdom in a way that Jesus understood the kingdom is critical for us to experience unity as the body. Jesus, in John 18, 36, being questioned shortly before his crucifixion, said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my, pe- if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were, not, were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. You know, there are days I look at how Christians often interact with the culture today and politics and other things, and I'm thinking, are we adopting the world's tools and strategies and how we live our lives and how we fight our battles? I honestly, when I reflect on that, that, that statement, of if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would not or would have been fighting Jesus is, is reinforcing that, tru- that truth in that statement. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. We need to be willing to examine not only what we're, our convictions are, but how we interact with the world. And do we do it in such a way that we understand that using the same attitude, the same tools of this world to accomplish even what we think is right is no different than Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane chopping off the ear of the soldier. There are a lot of swords that I think need to be put down that we might fully embrace God's kingdom. 
Remember the account in Mark 12, 17. Remember Jesus, were, the Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus. And so because of that tension, the same tension that would have caused the stress about Matthew being called to follow, they, they used that as a, as a mean of tra- means of trying to trap Jesus. And so they gave him a coin and, and asked him, is it, I mean, should we pay taxes to Rome? Remember in Mark 12, 17, Jesus' response, he says, render to Caesar the things that are of Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. You know, we have to make sure that we look at our lives and understand that we have a responsibility and then there's plenty in scripture to talk about being good citizens and, and, and living in a way that, that would be earn the respect of those outside of the faith community. But we need to always remember that our higher commitment is to God. I had a friend in seminary that actually shared a message on this text once. When you think about it, the coin had whose image stamped on it? Caesar's. So Jesus is saying, give under Caesar what is Caesar's, giving back, the, it's, it's Roman coin, give your, give your coins back to Rome. Uh, my friend in seminary shared a message on this. He said, well, think about what our lives are stamped with. Like that coin is stamped with Caesar, our lives are stamped with the image of God. And, and the only reasonable response in, in reflecting on that text is we give our lives back to God, recognizing that we, in being stamped with his image, our lives belong to him. And Paul, Paul in Philippians 3.20 builds on these themes and he, and he calls us to a higher citizenship. And, and he says in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I worry at times that maybe we extend too much energy on earthly kingdoms and forget where our true citizenship really lies. When we think about this last year, whether it's different views on COVID and how to respond to the COVID situation or whether it's different views on what's happening politically, however you have responded and however you have you have moved in these areas in the last year, we need to remember as Christ's followers that God has called us to something greater. And the one thing that will unite us is moving away from our earthly kingdoms to a place where we fully embrace the kingdom of Christ and understand where our citizenship really lives. And that leads us to the third piece. We need to not only don't lose sight of God's grace, we need to be willing to let go of our old lives and our old allegiances, but we, in the invitation to follow Christ, it's not just a prayer that then we forget about. It's, it's a decision to orient our lives around Jesus. Ray Vanderlaan, many of you have gone through the series, but remember what Jesus, in how he talked about the idea of following Jesus as, as a disciple would follow the rabbi, was that image of being covered with the dust of the master's feet that they would walk so closely to their master that they'd be covered with the dust of his feet. The call to follow Jesus means that we're letting go of everything else and always being willing to let Jesus put his finger on things in our life that we need to let go of so that we might fully embrace him. Did you catch the interaction between Gaius, this Roman soldier, and and Matthew in the clip? He says, have you lost your mind? 
You have money. You have protection. You're going to throw it all away? Matthew understood in that moment that he was, he was letting go of everything else. He was letting go of power, position, wealth. And he surrendered his life to follow Jesus, the street preacher. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In Matthew 6, 33, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And one of my favorite verses, this is from a similar account where Jesus ministers to another tax collector, Zacchaeus, in Luke 19. Zacchaeus experiences a conversion. I mean, he, 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 you can see a change in his life in the account if you go back and read it. But at the end of the Zacchaeus account, Jesus gives what really is a, as a mission statement of, of why he came. He says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What you see in these verses is that the call to follow Christ means we let go of everything to embrace Jesus. The call to follow Jesus in his kingdom means that we need to seek first the kingdom, that our, that our pursuing Jesus in his kingdom should be above all else. And that if we're following Jesus, we're also, as Jesus invited his disciples when he called Peter, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In the same way that Jesus, the son of man, came to seek and to save the lost, Jesus then sent his disciples out and that includes you and me. That we're to be living such a life that we're not only letting go of the old, letting go of other allegiances so that we might fully embrace Jesus and whatever he calls us to. That we seek first his kingdom and that we share a burden You know, we, we share that word. I say the word burden, but have you ever thought about what that means? Some of the older saints in my life that invested in me, that I watched pray for lost family members, people that didn't know Jesus, that they loved, and they wanted to see them come to faith in Christ. There's a burden. You ever been around someone that prayed for someone that didn't know Jesus and there were tears involved? That's a burden. In the same way that Jesus understood that he came to seek and save the lost, we need to be so burdened for lost people and people that don't yet have the hope of Christ that we're willing to let go of everything to fully embrace Jesus so that God might use us to be a faithful witness in this world. And what's scary as I look over the last few years is I think there's a lot of things in the way we've adopted other battles and other fights and, and uh, lesser kingdoms that have hurt the cause of Christ in following him and making him known in this world. While we look at Matthew and his call, or Peter and his call, we, we see this was his first, the, the first invitation to follow Jesus. And, and we know that every one of us has to come to that point where we, where we make the choice to repent, to turn to Jesus, to surrender our lives to follow him. But what we see throughout the scriptures is that that first surrender is followed by a thousand surrenders. 
We have to daily surrender our lives to Jesus and his kingdom, be willing to embrace whatever he has for us. And, and I, and I want to encourage you just with some questions in closing. I, I want to ask you, in, in the last week, in the last months, how much of your time and energy is given to earthly disputes that really in a year, let alone for eternity, won't matter? How much of our time and our energy has, has been consumed by earthly agendas, temporary agendas? Or how much of our time and our energy is given to pursuing a deeper relationship with Jesus? Or pursuing a, a relationship with Jesus in such a way that, that we also embrace his mission of making Christ known to the world? I think one of the three, three of the ways I think we can do that in our own lives, in the life of our church, is we need to hold on to God's grace. Don't lose sight of God's grace. We all need his grace. We're offering God's grace to those that need it. We need to let, be willing to let go of our other allegiances and, and, and our old life. And, and, and pause for a second. This is one of those messages that when I talk about letting go of partisan politics, letting go of, of all the battles that, that, we, that are such a part of our culture today so that we might fully embrace Jesus. I, I realize as I talk about that, too often I think I've had conversations with people afterwards that say, well, yeah, you're talking about the people over there. And then I talk to the people that are leaning in a different direction there, yeah, you're talking about those people over there. This applies to every one of us. Whatever your political affiliation might be, whatever your political ideology might be, wherever you stood on the COVID debate in the last year, we all need to be willing to examine our hearts and our lives and say, am I willing to let it go to fully embrace Jesus and realize that the disputes and the arguments about things that eternally mean nothing are impacting the witness of Christ in this world? We need to orient our lives daily around Jesus and his teaching, daily surrender, and recognize that we may be off. We may think, too often I think we approach the Christian life to say, well, God, I got it all figured out, now just bless me as I go out and do my thing. We need to be willing to pray like David at the end of Psalm 139 and invite God to search us, to test us, to try us. Because I, I firmly believe that if, if you think that you're, it, where you react in the political wars today and that you're fully right in how you've handled yourself, I, I think we need to ask ourselves, or, or do we really understand what Jesus has called us to? Because I, I've yet to see any political party that can fully represent the kingdom of God. Jesus calls us to something greater. And think about this. I mean, th as much as we're excited to move on to a new, new phase in the, in the world in which we're living in right now and move on beyond the divisions, move on beyond COVID, move on beyond everything else that's caused stress in the last year, think about the fact that we're moving towards a destination of being in the presence of Christ where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from people from all sorts of walks of life are going to bow at the throne of Jesus and sing, He is worthy. I was reminded Wednesday night when we were watching the video clip, or the video clip, the, the evening service, a few of us that gathered. It was a good reminder of who we are as a Christian Missionary Alliance. 
And he made a statement. It was one of those, it's a preacher trick. He made a statement that would make you think, wait, what did he just say? He, he said, uh, in the message, he said, the, the Christian Missionary Alliance is not a missionary movement. And I caught my attention. I'm like, wait, what do you mean we're not a missionary movement? And then he corrected. He said, we're, the Christian Missionary Alliance is a deeper life movement and a missionary movement. You can't have one without the other. The Christian Missionary Alliance is a movement of people that love Jesus and don't want to just be saved. They want to be all in and fully surrendered to Jesus to be transformed by his life and filled with his spirit and living a life that can point people to Jesus because it's not just about us walking with Jesus. It's about taking Jesus, making Jesus known to the world. That's who we are in the Alliance. God has called us to go deep in our relationship with Jesus, to be transformed in our relationship with Jesus. As Romans 8, 28, 29 tells us that we're to be conformed into the image of Christ. I don't know about you, but I still have work to do to be fully reflecting the image of Christ. We need to be going deeper in our walk with Jesus so our lives are transformed, our lives are changed. We're walking in the fullness of the Spirit so that then we can go and bear witness to Christ in a world that desperately needs Jesus. Today, as we close in our song, our song, it's an old song, and I'll be honest, it's not the easiest one to lead. So be gracious as we lead it. But, but I, the simple message of this closing song is just, just a reminder. In the same way that we've talked about surrendering at the cross, we're going to end with that call today. Because I think daily, the only way that the body of Christ will fully be everything that God calls us to be and move beyond divisions and, and, and experiencing the fullness of God in this life so that we can be effective in our witness is that we all individually fully surrender our lives to Jesus. Drop our swords. Whatever weapon of choice you've used in your disputes and your arguments and embrace Jesus and what he has for us. We pray with me? Dear Holy Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you call us. You, know, you don't look at our background and, and say you're disqualified, Lord. You 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 call us from from all walks of life. You call, Lord, the fisherman. You call the tax collector. You call the zealot, Lord. You call people from all walks of life. And the reality is, is that every one of us is in need of a savior. We've all fallen short of your best. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need your forgiveness. We need you as a Savior. And Lord, help us to be willing to daily surrender our lives anew to you. Lead us daily to the cross, Lord, that place of, of surrender. Lord, you, you've called us to take up our own cross, which is, is an instrument of death. Lord, help us to be willing to die to our old life. Help us to be willing to die for, of our own agendas and our own wants and our own life that we might fully embrace the life that you have for us. Lord, help us to be a, bear witness to the hope of Christ in this community and the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.